Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 41. As always, joined by the three amigos here, we got Keith Digger of Icecap Asset Management, and of course, the Tom Brady of Macro uh, in Whistler, VIP in Whistler, Rich Diaz, Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. What's uh, what's going on, Rich? You got the, uh, the Summer of Love tour. Uh, That's right. Yeah, what, what, what's going on there? So another wedding. <laughs> I think everybody's catching up on weddings post-COVID um, in Whistler right now. It's freaking beautiful. Um, it's weird to go to a mountain, a ski mountain in the summer, but it's amazing how much is going on here. Uh, first of all, the biking. There's like a million downhill bikes just like buzzing around. And that's Have you ever awesome. been to Whistler? No, never, never, never. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. The drive up was amazing. That that so that was like just an incredible drive. Uh, yeah, it's all new to me. It's beautiful here, man. You guys, this is a really really awesome part of Canada. So I would recommend everybody you, to come out. If you need a house, let me know. <laughs> we can make it happen. <laughs> Can't afford it. Keith, Keith, Keith. what's going what's going on, buddy? Uh, yeah, same thing. You know, you guys are doing the whole wedding thing, and uh, at my vintage, that's not happening anymore. If it is, it's like this: the second weddings, I guess. That's what you're looking at. You're at all you know, the funerals now. Yeah, I'm getting up there. Um, that that stuff happens anyway. Yeah, we're all smiling. We're we're good here. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's jump into it because uh, I don't know if one should smile here, but we had uh, Canada's CPI inflation print come in uh, yesterday as of this recording. Um, was it 8.1? I think the market expectations were calling for 8.4. So the silver lining was it was below market expectations, but I believe it was still a 40 year high in inflation. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know whether to be happy or to be sad, but I, I personally was looking at it and saying, okay, well, it missed expectations because the market was already kind of pricing in basically 8.4. Um, and so are we, at some point, like I had this debate on Twitter and I'd love to get into this with you guys, but like, I feel like there's a strong cohort of people that don't really understand like rate of change, rate of change terms. Cause like I basically was on Twitter and I was like, listen, I think we're, I think we're making a turn here and everyone just like dog piled on. And I think like everybody is on the one side of the boat, which is like inflation. It's here. It's never going away. We're going to double digit Weimar Republic and my view is that, you know, I think all of us were like very early on the inflation call. Like we all had inflation since we started the show on 41 episodes now. And my view has been that at some point from a rate of change terms, it's hard to beat last year's comps. And so once you get up to eight, nine, nine and a half percent, it's like, well, inflation has to accelerate that much more for you to beat last year's basically comparable. So that's what we say is when we say inflation is going to start rolling over, it's going to go from 8.1 to 7.9 to 7.4. And it might just stay at five and a half next year, but it is declining. I think that's what the central banks are looking for. They're looking some, they're looking for some 
air cover basically uh so they can at least you know pause or be less hawkish on their interest rate policy but rich i don't know if you're looking at it. i don't know if you have if you want to unpack the inflation numbers for us a little bit further sure i mean just before we get into that i think there's two things that i humans and i would include myself as one of them or have a hard time wrapping their head around one is probability distributions so if you like ask people like what's the probability of something occurring um, I don't, I don't think humans are good at like trying to navigate that distribution. You know, like it's a 30% chance of this happening or one in a million or like the chance of winning the lottery or whatever it is. Um, and the other thing that I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around is rate of change stuff. So, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, you know, and, and, and so when you see that curve, when you see it rolling over, as we'll get into in a second, it's, 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 it's hard to do the math, you know, sequentially over time, but anyway, so just go over it quickly. Um, the headline, as you said, was 8.13. Um, core obviously just kept, kept going. But one thing that I like on the positive note, so let's, you know, it's the summer, it's beautiful outside, let's be sort of positive, is we've talked a lot about the shelter component, which is 39% of the core basket, I think. And that has been, for me, the number one, like, you know, reason why I think it's not transitory, forgive the word. And that actually started to roll over a little bit. As you said, the rate of change has slowed. So that I thought was really important. That's slowed to 7.1%. So still really, really high. But the contribution, which is, again, 39% of the core shelter basket, has actually slowed a bit. So it's, it's no longer at peak contribution, quote unquote. The other thing that I thought was important was food. Um, the food is also a significant portion of the basket. Obviously, if you're, if you have less money, it's more important. If you make more money, it's less important, but that also started to roll over. So two things that you can start to see are actually starting to like peak out, as you said, inflation expectations, something that came out a couple, a little while ago. So there are surveys done by the bank of Canada that ask people what their expectations of future inflation are. And that came out, that's a quarterly series. They ask consumers, they ask businesses, and a little while ago, that is still massively, massively high, sort of an all-time high on the series. So I think we'll have a situation going forward where you have the inflation numbers actually start to, again, roll over. The rate of change gets slower, but the inflation expectations actually hang out there a little bit. And so that was the, those are my observations. Yeah. I don't know, Keith, if you had anything to add. Uh, just an observation on the rate of change. It's, uh, I think it's a fantastic concept for everyone to understand. Because uh, markets move at, you know, what, what was the last change in any number? So as an example, um, you know, we, we had success this year with not being hurt too much with markets come down because last year we were able to clearly see that the rate of change of M2 growth by central banks, like how much stimulus were central banks pumping into the system. And we could see that rate of change was was about to roll over. And when that happens, Usually it means it's, it's a risk off event. So, you know, markets trade off and, and stuff like that. But if you were just looking at the absolute headline number, you'd say, man, the, the Fed, they're still gushing money into the system. The Bank of Canada is still doing it and all that. But you can take the rate of change approach with, with anything. So um, remember, like it's, it is not the absolute number that matters. So I know the the inflation number yesterday, what you guys say it was? Eight, eight 8.1. 8.1, yeah. So just say we go fast forward a year from now. If it's still at 8.1, it means it's up 8% from today's you know, absurdly yeah. high number. So again, that's something for, for people to... Uh, to I've to got another in. pickup line. I've got another pickup line. The second derivative. 
Oh, there you go. So, so another thing that people like to look at, which is a bit quanty, a bit nerdy, is to look at the rate of change of the rate of change, which is otherwise known as the second derivative. And we'll, we'll start. And so some people use that, for example, when they're looking at the Chinese credit impulse, they'll do the rate of change of the rate of change relative to the GDP. And it's the that is what people look at as far as what Keith's point was. As that's rolling over, you've got the second thing. And I think that's like calculus four or three or whatever it is, high school math. I was not good at it, but it's something we definitely look at. It's in my credit impulse. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that. I pump that out sometimes. But that's another way of looking at the rate of change to see how that's slowing. But anyways. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a great point because that's actually something I personally will look at and use for uh, when I look at uh, house prices. So if you look at uh, residential mortgage credit growth, the rate of change at the second derivative of residential mortgage credit growth is typically a very strong indicator towards the growth in home prices. Uh, obviously, if credit growth is growing, it means people are borrowing money to, to, to inflate house prices. So, uh, and that's actually modeled very well by Professor Steve Keen, who's written a couple of excellent right. books. I've had him on our show or my show uh, several times. Uh, not in the loony hour, but a separate show. And uh, yeah, extremely smart guy. So the second derivative rate of change, uh, not to geek out on you guys too much, but uh, Rich actually had a funny thing. Cause like, you know, so it's a couple, couple of people DMing me on Twitter um, after that, like CPI miss. And, you know, people are like getting all upset saying, you know, the numbers are fudged and, um, but you know, one, one of the things, uh, you know, I think we've always been skeptical around the CPI basket, but so shelter costs, it says here, this is from Bloomberg, shelter costs gained 0.4%, the smallest increase since November. That reflects in part lower real estate commissions as the housing market slowed, Stats Canada said. I mean, that's the thing about these numbers. I mean, people like to bitch about them. I certainly do. But I would challenge all these people to come up with their own CPI number, number one. Um, number two, I think it's not about trying to, to you know, it's not about hand wringing. It's about understanding what you're looking at, where it succeeds in describing the reality that we're living with. And it also, it's important to just recognize where it fails. You know, there, that's why you look at more than one indicator. That's why you look at more than one inflation number. Something I look, I look to like to look at is something called the impl implicit price deflator, which is a word I could never, ever string together. But that's the inflation of the entire economy, which does not just include consumer prices, but includes export prices, import prices, includes government spending, CapEx. And that's another way of sort of like just double checking that number. And then there's PPI, which by the way, has rolled over a while ago, um, as we've discussed. But yeah, I don't know, Keith, it's, I, don't know, I don't think it's, it's, it is helpful to be critical of those numbers, but I think it's Sometimes we spend too much time, you know, uh, bitching about how they do it. These people are smart, you know, Stats Canada. There's a lot of really committed, intelligent people. It's a hard thing to do. I mean, like down in the down in the states, uh, they have uh, what's the guy that does the shadow inflation? Shadow data? stats. Yeah, what, what's his name? John. I can't remember. You should just use the either. Big Mac index. The Big Mac index. But, but that shadow index but has been with... debunked. I thought no. Well, but I mean, I always look at that thing to say, you know, official inflation is at, call it 8%, my headline numbers. And people say, there's no way it's at 8%. And then the shadow stats guy is saying, well, it's really at 25%. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that, that's fine as well. Um, but it's really irrelevant because the 25% level, like a year ago, maybe it was at 18%. It's, again, you go back yeah. to that rate of change. You know, what right. was it? 
back in the O's and then the tens and the nineties and, and that stuff. And, and that's when it really comes down to, uh, but the bottom line is, you know, lower income households uh, have been getting screwed. Like they've been allocating increasingly more of the money to, to buy food and, and for gas and, you know, for, for heating, electricity, you name it. And uh, that, that's having a big impact. And I think now we, we sort of, if this rate of change does happen on the inflation side, it, it might also sort of play in, you know, with, with the whole slowing growth or recession story at the same time, which sort of brings us, I think we need to oh. jump over to Europe next. Maybe. No, not yet. We're almost there. Uh, yes. I can't wait. Uh, Keith, Keith, is chomping at, Keith, Keith is chomping at the bit, salivating over that 50 basis point hike, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, just kind of, Basically, I'm almost saying like we always kind of open up the show on like the Canadian front and then it like jumps into like I think almost we need to have a crude oil segment, given that we are Canadians and give give rich an opportunity to rant. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if you saw the um, there was that piece going viral from the CBC News. Uh, they're like finance finance person or they're like financial advisor sort of editor. Treasury, or whatever. Yeah. Well, no, no, secretary. like the person that like gives like financial advice, like she's like, that's her. Oh, okay, at, cool. At CBC, like her advice was basically to, she's like, yeah, like for these people that are struggling with inflation in Canada, just go and ask your employer for a larger raise or find a new job. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the solution. And of course, you know, our policymakers solution is just to hand people more money. Uh, speaking of which I actually got a check in the mail. No joke. I got a check in the mail, Keith. Uh, yesterday, so our, our uh, car insurance company, so ICBC, the government uh, insurance for your car here, uh, they're, they're cutting everybody like a $110 check for, for gas prices. And they've done like, I think this is the second installment. I drive a Tesla. So I, I just I just pocketed the money, I guess. So Rich, beers are on me when you come back through town here. Um, I ride but, a bike. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. What's else going on? I mean, I'd love to chat briefly on the a little bit quickly on the housing front, and then we'll switch gears into the eurozone there. But um, yeah, I think you know as these rate hikes persist uh, throughout. I don't know. Do we have an update, Keith, on what the market odds is? It seventy five basis points expected right now for BOC in September. Yeah, so for the next meeting is September the seventh. Uh, right now, there are. It is slightly less than 75 basis points. Okay. So, um, but it's going to be it, basically it, what we're saying is essentially we're like almost a lock for 50, let's say. Correct. So it will be another good Twinkie bet. Yeah. Because it's sort of on the fence. Will it be 50 or 75? It will not be 100. Uh, <laughs> and, and it won't be 25 either. If something happens between now and then, it, it could be nothing, right? That's, that's yeah. How, I mean, let's, uh, let's, that's where yeah, we let's, are now. So um, I know it's a Canadian show and we focus on Canada all the time. Um, but a lot of these events can really come back and, and affect Canada. Let's just say within Canada for a second as well, though. Because um, I know after, you know, we had last week's Bank of Canada meeting. Are you guys, you guys hearing anecdotal stories about like people on the street, your family, your friends uh, talking about the rate hike and housing? Or yes. is it a non-story? Yeah. No, no. Some um, a friend of mine. I won't give, won't won't give you too many details. But a friend of mine just bought a house. Was told to get a variable rate mortgage because they would qualify for a larger uh, mortgage. Basically, uh, again, I'm this is not my lane. So forgive me if I'm screwing this up. 
but he came up to me and he's not super in tune. He's like, dude, what happened? My mortgage went up by a significant amount or whatever. And he's like, I def, I like we're we felt it or like another thing. Another person said it was like, you know, another a real estate guy, really fresh to the game, right? Really young. And he's like, yeah, they're the sort of what people have been able to purchase the, you know, the, given the stress test or whatever has been knocked down. And he's like, that's totally taken the air out of the market in Halifax. So I don't know, Steve, I know I got out of my lane there a little bit. No, but... I love it, man. You're, you're dialed in. I mean, all I can <laughs> say is like, um, yeah. So after that hundred basis point rate hike, I think we talked about it briefly on last week's show, which basically is like overnight. If you were like planning to go with a variable rate, you lost 10% of your borrowing capacity. There we go. Cause you, you had to get basically you pushed up into the stress test. So you had to get, you're basically getting qualified at about 5.2% after that rate hike, it was pushed up to just North of 6%, about 6.2%, right? hundred basis points. Um, so you lost. So we actually had saw, like I saw it, like not just myself personally, but like, you know, realtors in our office, you know, um, deals were collapsing. Because people had accepted offers and then they went to go and then, you know, because what happens is you can't like hold that rate as a variable. So you have to re-qualify. So they had to then re-qualify all of these files at this higher stress test. And all of a sudden people no longer qualified for the properties that they were intending to purchase. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of offers collapse. You know, I've been chatting with like, you know, uh, chatting with a whole bunch of the top producers think of like the top top agents or top real estate teams in the city of vancouver I've just been chatting with a lot of them over the last you know week or two like some of these guys you've been chatting with them you know they've been in the business for 20 plus years and they're telling me that this is the weakest housing market they've seen so they say go back look at wow. sort of go back look at 08 09 go back look at 2012 go back look at 2017 18 and they're like, yeah, this is this has been the weakest market, um, and and like again, we're only four and a half, five months into a correction here. So yeah, things are unfolding, and we talked about it. You know, I, I'll be the first to admit, like I said, I got the rate hike call wrong, um, but it, it, you know, like all these big banks coming out with these like optimistic rosy forecast in the housing market. I said, as soon as rates get north of three and a half into that four percent territory, the housing market is going to crumble, and that's exactly what's happening. So. Um, we'll see, I think once they add another 50 basis points here, um, I think that's going to be a train wreck. Cause again, you're just going to push your variable rates even higher. And that's been kind of the escape valve for a lot of these borrowers over the last, uh, six months. Can I ask a, qu- a quick question? Maybe a dumb question. So like, we've talked a lot about residential real estate and sorry for the, the digression, but in commercial real estate, is it the same dynamic or is it a different set of spreads and credit constraints and the lenders feel differently because there's cash flows associated. Is that? Uh, yes. And no, it's all very similar, right? Like they definitely factor in like, it's a totally different market. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here. Um, but I mean, it reprices buildings entirely, right? Cause it's yeah. like you're, you're using, like you're using basically like cap rates and saying, well, hold on a minute. Now the interest rate is what, um, so yeah, we've seen a doubling there, but yeah, typically speaking on the qualification side, we're tending to look at more so at cash flows, debt servicing. So and they're vacancy basically rates. At, yeah. They're basically look, they're looking at a building as like a business, right? So like, fair enough. Okay. That's typically how they lend versus like, you know, your personal balance sheet on the residential side. Okay. Um, but Keith, 
your boys in Europe, the economic fantasy land. Uh, <laughs> drink. Are you? Yeah, drink. Are you surprised? Yeah. Somebody, by the way, whoever bingo. made the, uh, bingo. the Looney Hour like, bingo sheet is amazing. Yeah, that's fun. Thank you I for know. whoever did that. Is... <laughs> we're gonna have to and everyone's this. like everyone's watching this on Friday or Saturday. We do this on Thursdays, by the way. So we're not drink. <laughs> We haven't finished the week. Nice. Yeah. So let's switch over to Europe, guys. And uh, so the way this is connected to Canada, and we've been talking about this now for a while, um, was you know, when we first started the podcast, what was really great, uh, you know, we were introducing to everyone that, you know, things can happen outside of Canada that can affect Canada. And because uh, there wasn't a lot of stuff happening inside Canada at, the, at that time. And now over the, you know, the 41 episodes that now we, we've done this, um, I like to say we're now seeing the world has become synchronized in that everyone has now this, this risk, the probability is a lot higher than it was before. So obviously in Canada with rates going up and housing rolling over, it can affect employment, the knock on effects, the banks can get a bit hurt and, you know, everyone's RSPs have come down a little bit and things like that. But the number one risk that, you know, that I like to talk about all the time, it, it is continues to be Europe. And that's why we, we call it that really cool name, because that's what we do at IceCap, where we say cool things. Uh, today was the ECB meeting. So next week, we have the Fed. And after the Fed's meeting, that, that's it, the summer is everyone's on holiday then. So everyone, all the central bankers will come back in September. But we're going to have about six weeks where you know, this radio silence by the central bankers and, and things like that. Um, so this was a good one today from the ECB. What they did uh, in typical European fashion or style, they got style, right, Rich? They do have style. They do have style. People say I have style too. So no one says that, Keith. <laughs> my mom says I have style. But um, so what the ECB did today, they raised interest rates up to zero percent so we got to let that you know sink in but they raised yeah, interest what's, rates what's the, what's the official inflation rate technically now like eight yeah they're in that 80s range but they went so from the, minus half a percent now up to zero percent so they're yeah they're running real negative rates of negative eight yeah absolutely and uh you know they sort of got it they're going to do 25 basis points but they did 50 and that was like okay wow they, we weren't expecting that and um but then the big, you know, it's always a twist with the Europeans. It's like, it's fluffy. Everything is always fluffy. It's never one thing with, with the Bank of Canada. They say, hey, we're doing 100 and, and this is it. Like it was, you know, it came straight at you. The Europeans do it in a, in a different style. Uh, so first of all, they raise rates because they think doing that can cut back inflation. Now, I don't know how the ECB raising rates is going to pull back European inflation, which which we will go into that in a little bit where all the European inflation is coming from. But what they also did in Europe right now, they, they have this real problem in that, you know, the, the economy is slowing, inflation's going up, bank lending is, is declining, spreads are widening, sovereign debt spreads are widening. So it's, it's costing countries like Italy more money to borrow than it did, you know, last week and the month before that and, and everything. And, um, and, and at the same time, politically, we'll hop into that as well. So Europe is in trouble. And when, when the ECB, when they get in trouble, they have this uh, program that they will introduce. It's always a new program. So just to demonstrate, so I think in Canada, we may have had one program 
by the Bank of Canada, whatever, whatever they came up with for the pandemic. And the Fed had, you know, TARP back in 0809. I want to read out a list of the European Central Bank <laughs> stimulus programs. Grab and some coffee. of them are not. Yeah, I know. You don't need a coffee. You may need a glass of Pinot Noir or something like that. Uh, okay, here we go. So we have the, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, bailout, the World Bank bailout. We had zero interest rate policy, negative interest rate policy. We had the European Financial Stability Facility, the European Financial Stability Mechanism, which is different than the facility, of course. We had the European Stability Mechanism, which is different than the European Financial Stability Mechanism. <laughs> We've also had the outright monetary transaction. We had the bilateral agreement. We had the balance of payment program. We had the Greek loan facility. We had the targeted long-term refinance operation program. Then we had the targeted long-term refinance operation program two. And then the targeted long-term refinance operation program three, they call them the T litros. And then we had the, the PEP, which is the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program. And then we had the Public Sector uh, Pandemic Program, which is different than the Pandemic Emergency Public Program. And now, yeah, you're all laughing. because You should be, because now we've had like 10 plus years of this and nothing's been resolved over in the Euroland. So today to really try to draw the line of the sand, so they raise interest rates to try to bring down inflation while the economy is slowing and everything else is, is, is in trouble. But today they, they announced another new program. This one's called the TPI. So it's the trans, uh, it's the transition protection instrument. I might have that a little bit wrong. It's another it's word. Say salad. it again. Say it again. Say that three times fast. Yeah. The transition protection instrument. Transition protection instrument, transaction pro. <laughs> I'm just joking now. I need one of those. Yeah. This is a Monty Python skit with the people's front of Judea, the Judea's people's front. And then, <laughs> anyways, keep going. It keeps going around. But here's the key thing. Okay. Now let's, let's hop back into the real world. Whenever you have any kind of a, of a fund or a transaction, anything, you have what's called a term sheet. That's how our world works on. If you're buying a house, you guys may not call it a term sheet, but it, it's a term sheet. And on the term sheet, you have specific numbers and, and conditions listed there. The term sheet for the, I don't know, is it transaction or transition? Look it up. <laughs> what is, I need to know this. I'm, I'm, I, should, I just should know these things. TPI. It's, the, uh, TPI, it's transmission. Maybe. Yeah, sorry. So, for the, for the tr so the term sheet for the transmission protection instrument uh, it was released today by the ECB. It, it's, it's all qualitative. So there's no numbers in there. So effectively what it is, and I think the market will catch on to this later today and, and tomorrow. It's similar to what the, uh, the Japanese just did. It, it's open-ended QE. What does that mean? Well, like, uh, like open-ended is like, we don't have a target. We're just going to just buy as much as whatever we feel we need to buy. Is that yeah, yield exactly. curve control? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas like regular, isn't it funny, regular QE, like 12 <laughs> years ago, there was no QE. And then it become, I always laugh as well, you know, people working now, I've been 10 years in the industry and 
really smart. I'm like, yeah, but your whole career has been a, in a period with negative rates and QE. This is honestly hilarious, man. I had guys, guys, I had yeah. guys dunking on me yesterday too. Like, I just love getting dunked on Twitter lately. Um, but like, guys are like, what happened to your financial repression and call? And I'm like, man, like, that's what it is. Yeah, it was like, in, BO, inflation's at eight in Canada. The BOC is at two and a half. Okay, first of all. And then you've got Europe, but now at zero with inflation at eight, and they're still running like TPI or whatever the hell you call it, which is open-ended <laughs> QE. Like, tell me that's not financial repression and, 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 and or some form of version of yield curve control. So, yeah, so regular QE, um, that's when, say, like the Federal Reserve said, hey, we're going to spend, you know, say $50 billion a month to buy treasury bonds. And whatever the output of that or the effect of it is, it, it is what it is. They're just, they're just going to spend 50 and that's it. What the Bank of Japan did, they said, hey, we're going to spend as much as we can to make sure the 10-year never goes above 0.25%. That's held now, hasn't it? Like that's They, they kind of yeah, got yeah. tested a bit there. It's held, right? Well, the yeah, currency, absolutely. right? The currency is the release valve, right? right. 138 on the yen or whatever. Is that, so is now, that currency still weakening, though, over the last couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, um, it, it, it's, you know, you're always going to get jibs and jabs going in there, but um, it, it's not strengthening at all. So I've got uh, a question so, for you, Keith. So you're obviously... Wait, I got to jump into Europe. I'm not finished. I thought, I'm, no, I have a question for you on Europe. What's the question? The question is... <laughs> the question is, 50 basis points is more or less irrelevant with inflation at eight. What's your opinion of like why the ECB decide like it's just political to say hey we raise rates like what's what's the what's the objective here is it to protect the euro like you know I mean they're obviously their currency is getting smashed this year so um it, it seems to me like they were very congratulatory with themselves today that they finally ended the period of negative rates in in the eurozone I, I, that's it I mean, it's no different, like, you know, Bank of Canada going from zero to two and a half or whatever, like, that's not going to affect inflation. It's going to create something else. But the, the, so, but the two key things with this today with, um, with the Eurozone and the ECB, um, this new program, it is, from what I can tell, it's unlimited, but they haven't set a target on what they want to try to keep a specific market at. Remember, there's 19 countries, right? And uh, they left the wording open that they will target public securities, but they've also left it open that they could target private securities as well. But the main thing is to be eligible to receive this criteria, sorry, be eligible to receive funding from the Transmission Protection Instrument, the TPI. And they're already having it capital T, capital P, and a little written undercase I, because it looks cool, right? It looks cool. Um, the are the, the criteria you had to be in compliance with the EU fiscal framework. Makes sense. Which means, so the EU is Brussels. They set fiscal policy. No one is in compliance with EU fiscal policy right now. Every single Eurozone member has, has breached it. So uh, with the Mass Track Treaty, I think it was a, a, three, a maximum 2%, two, 3%. Two I thought it was 3 uh, Yeah, deficit and then you know debt to GDP, all that stuff. No one's done that. You also have to have no severe macroeconomic imbalances. Like, what the hell is that supposed to be? All right? You have to have sustainable public finances. 
And again, this, everything is unsustainable right now in Europe. And the last one is that even have it in quotes, you need to have sound and sustainable macroeconomic policies, including complying with commitments under the EU recovery fund. So again, what this does, and people, again, this will, will you know, they'll start to realize this soon. If you want to get your credits, if Italy wants to get the credit spreads to get tighter, closer to Germany or come back under control, you have to listen to the EU. So whatever they're telling you to do, you have to do. And then the ECB will then use unlimited money to help bring your, your bond yields down. So you guys may not remember, but back in, was it 2012 or, or 14? So back then, the prime minister of Italy was uh, Silvio Berlusconi. So he was probably one of the... Bunga bunga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Like all of them, right? They all, they all got air attached to them. Um, he refused to play ball with the EU. So they, the ECB stopped buying Italian bonds and... They went into crisis and he got kicked out and then he's replaced by Mario Monti, the, the technocrat. So it's so an unelected guy became the prime minister of Italy. Today slash yesterday, um, Mario Draghi used to be the head of the ECB. He was also an unelected prime minister of Italy. He just resigned from his post. So Italy is now into this, you know, this summer of not love. It's not like rich, it's not the summer of love. It's something different over in Italy right now. But again, everything is set up. The ECB tried to do things today to pave things over. And then the final thing, Steve, that, um, that, that you, you brought up with the 50 base points, the ECB specifically stated, because somebody asked him, it's the Dutch guy, he said, does this mean you're still going to do 25 basis points in September? Is that guidance still there? And they flatly said, no, we are no longer using forward guidance. We'll just let the data guide us for each meeting. So which means then I, I said, hey, you know, they're done. So, the, so I think right now the ECB has done one and they're done. They're at zero. They'll try never go to negative again because they won't add any value. But that's my uh, long ranting European so, story. It's well, it's just it's trouble, guys. We, we might have to I, mix it. We might have to mix in the uh, another Twinkie bet there. So, <laughs> things so, yeah, yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Rich. Well, I just want to say I just wanted to add. You know, not that I. I feel like I uh, just to add a little bit of the context. I think Keith, aren't they just they're they're committing to just keeping the euro together? And I think that that's when you step back. It's I I agree with you. That's weird that it's open ended. It's it's you know there's a lot of you know fluff there, but ultimately they need those spreads to be within a certain range. They they cannot have these spreads widen, and they've allowed themselves right or wrong a, a facility to keep those spreads tight. Because ultimately, if those spreads widen too much, you're in, you're in big trouble, and the euro breaks down. And but funnily enough, by doing this, by tightening. And had an open-ended sort of fiscal and monetary policy. I mean, doesn't this sort of, unless there's a political, you know, blowback, but doesn't this effectively bring the euro tighter together, closer together, ultimately leading to what they will need to make this project successful, which is fiscal transfers? In the past, I've made the comparison between Mississippi and California. Highly productive economy, not so highly productive economy. There's a fiscal transfer there. There's one singular monetary policy. And then as their constitution, that's something they agree on. And the more the, the ECB does this with the EU, et cetera, et cetera, ultimately, aren't they just binding these countries closer to closer together? 
again, with the caveat, there might be a massive political blowback, which blows it all up. But short of that very real possibility, isn't, isn't it really just about bringing these countries closer and closer together? And ultimately, a fiscal, um, fiscal transfers and a fiscal pact. I mean, isn't that really the real point of all this? No. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it is. That's exactly what it is. No, it's, uh, it, yes, it is the former. They're just trying to keep it together. That, that, that's right. all they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're trying to keep the Eurozone together. They're, they're not trying to, if they want to create this similar system, what the Canadians and Americans have, they have to consolidate all the debt. And they right. need a central fiscal policy. And right. They don't have that right now. They, they have 19 different Agreed. sovereign debt structures, 19 different fiscal strategies and, and all that. So just to demonstrate you know, how, how absurd it is, um, you know, the EU yesterday, they, uh, they announced that they're directing all member states to reduce their energy consumption by, by, yeah, by 15, yeah, by 1.5%. <laughs> And what happened, Steve? So here's a good example, though, Rich, on why, you know, Eurozone is screwed. What was uh, the result, Steve? Up. So, yeah, it says, uh, Javier Blay was tweeting, uh, great, good reporter from Bloomberg. Uh, north, versus, north versus South 2.0. He says, Spain, Greece, and Portugal reject the EU's call for 15% cuts in natural gas consumption to help Germany. Spanish energy minister, clearly aiming at Berlin, says, quote, contrary to other countries, Spain hasn't been living beyond its means in energy terms. So I want to jump in there. I, it's delicious and rich. And I know it's sad, but also really funny because during the 2012, 13, 14 and, uh, Euro crisis, um, the southern countries, so the pigs, or I know that's not polite, but, you know, Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain were desperately asking for a bailout. They needed to fix their fiscal position. And Germany, you know, stuck their nose out and said, you know, we're responsible. We're not profligate. And we don't want to basically hand you guys a lot of money. And then fast forward eight years or whatever. And it's exactly what this guy, Javier, what's his name? He's brilliant, by the way. And it's the it's this North versus South 2.0. So it's just so it's so funny. Javier Blay uh, on uh, Twitter. So it's at Javier Blay is B-L-A-S. He's great. He's a good, really good. Like, yeah, basically that's all my about point. energy markets. And, and that's my point with Europe, though. Like, they will never agree on how to resolve something. So if, if they're never in agreement on how to solve something, by default, it's never resolved. <laughs> it's it's very simple. That's the way I look at the world many times. If it's not this, then it has to be that. You know, that's that's the way it is. Oh, wait, um, it gets it gets better though. It gets better. Um, so we had um, Poland, also in the EU. Poland's government wants to use the central bank's record profit to help Polish households buy coal to heat their homes. Yikes. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to comply with the EU's climate change agenda. But um, anyways, that, that's just, yeah, I mean, Europe just sounds like an absolute basket case. I mean, hopefully they don't have a cold winter this, this, uh, this year because that's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge. Well, they're well, just going to start. Bur- they're just going to burn. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Quickly, just, they're just start burning more coal. I mean, the the idea that they're going to just make their individuals suffer, and when they have an opportunity, they're just going to start burning more coal. I mean, that's already started to happen. I, I, the idea that they're just going to deal with this and tell everybody to not consume and have everybody in the cold 
I think is, is, is not, not, I got this idea argument from an article I read the other day. I can't remember the guy's name, so it wasn't mine, but he, he laid it out. I mean, they have, they can do it. The point is that they're just going to break their climate commitments, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, Keith. I mean, aren't there, aren't there's already a bunch of, uh, you know, um, isn't there already a bunch of manufacturers in Germany basically having to like close the doors because the, the, the cost of energy is just, just not, not profitable at this point. So you're basically, you're decimating that like entire economy essentially. Yeah. The natural gas is used in manufacturing, not to, is, you know, you need energy in order to run the very energy intensive industries that some of these manufacturers, let's say steel, a car plant, uh, I don't know, whatever it is. And you, and if you have energy prices, remember natural gas is something like 8X what it is in, in the US, I can't remember. So you have like, there are natural gas hubs in Netherlands and, and Italy. There's no liquefied natural gas terminals in Germany, I don't think. Um, the UK has lots of them. And then the, U, the US is something called Henry Hub is, you know, the, is the index that people look at. I'm sure there are other ones, but that's the one I look at. And in Europe, it's like, 8x or whatever eight times more expensive and you can as a as a business you can do that for a little while but eventually it just becomes prohibitively expensive to do basically anything and they've talked about rationing uh, natural gas um they've talked about rationing energy they're asking people to spend to consume less i mean we've talked about this before so let's not go over it too too much but it's just a massive own goal right i mean again they closed three nuclear power plants on december 31st and they're about to close three more i mean it's just madness sorry steve uh well no isn't the um yeah it says i'm just reading another way the french government's calling on citizens to switch off lights uh in order to conserve uh, electricity i believe that the french government also just recently had to bail out one of the the massive uh, uti- uh electric utility companies as well germany did too actually i think they just gave two billion euros to a gas company in, in germany i can't remember now but it's That's... it's just a real shame it's just it's really kind of incredible that such a rich well-developed part of the world is dealing with a crisis totally of their own making again russia is obviously to blame here on on some level but to hand over a strategically important part of your economy to a nefarious actor to me is is mind-blowing so let's so i know yeah i mean you know what's amazing though is like you know we did this show we always just say you know what like we enjoy just talking about markets and you know our goal was ultimately just to sort of help you know Canadians understand like the world and, and how these things work. And like, you know, as Keith said, like everybody I know in Canada is so focused just on housing, but like you have to understand the world to understand like what might influence our housing market here. And I just like, you know, just, just, just chatting here, talking about these energy markets and and this crisis that is unfolding uh, in Europe. And then just to see like in Canada, thank God, you know, for, for our, for, you know, for Alberta, uh, you know, that we had this, this standard of living that we're able to maintain. And I just see like the policymakers here and it's like, man, are these guys just like not paying attention? Are they just that ignorant? Are they just not that smart? Like, do they just, it, it's just like, man, I, I wish we can get this show out to more and more people. You know, I'm sitting here reading, you know, it was cr- coming across my screen last night. Like this is just like pure insanity uh, in a six to five vote. Vancouver City Council approved spending up to $700,000 in 2023 on financing a class action lawsuit against, quote, big oil. Uh, so the city of Vancouver is spending $700,000 of tax money to sue big oil as if like the CEO of Chevron gives any like shits about 
what some little tiny city in Canada says about, you know, climate change. Like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I just kind of lost so much faith in, in, in government and policymakers and it just kind of bewilders me. And like I said, that's why ultimately, you know, we do this show. Uh, we're certainly not right about everything, but I think it's more just like having that dialogue, having these discussions. So like, hopefully we can inform the citizens of this country who ultimately are responsible for voting uh, these people into power. Right. So the next time you get up to the polls, hopefully people can make educated decisions and ask educated questions uh, about the people that they are electing into, into power. So um, that was nice, Steve. Uh, <laughs> my rant for the day. That was really Sickens good. Me. My property taxes are going up to, to, so we can sue big oil. Like they're going to target the, uh, the, the king of Kitslano on his, his house. Uh, just one final point here with, with Europe, which ties into what you just mentioned as well, Steve. Uh, countries are always copycats. So especially in the Western world, you know, uh, if the governments are all leaning in the same direction. So in, in Canada, you know, we, we lean more towards socialism, saying in line with, with Europe. Uh, the ECB today, they are not projecting or, or uh, projecting any recession this year or next year in the Eurozone. They think they're going to sail on on through this. Um, I think they'll be outright wrong. If they are wrong, and they already have all these other programs in place, do you want me to read them out again just to make sure? No. <laughs> no? You're going to have to add this to the bingo card. I know. It's a, the, uh, it's a big one. The, the transition protection instrument. Anytime Keith latches. Um, like no yeah. one's going to so, no tell you they're going to go in recession, though, right? I mean, come on. Well, no. they, they I, I know. Yeah, I agree. They have to. Well, they could say, hey, you know, we, we think the risk is to what, what they're saying, though. They're saying we think the risk is to the downside with growth. So they're downgrading growth. They're upgrading inflation. But we have it under control because now we have zero percent interest rates. <laughs> Plus, we've created this, you know, word salad bailout program that has no quantitative information whatsoever on, on the term sheet. But what I suspect will happen next, uh, the, the area is again. I'm ex- I don't I do not have a very good view on what's going to happen in the eurozone. I think it will ultimately break up. Um, but the next step, though, is that they're always going to try to save it. They all have an incentive to keep it together, and I think you will get to see helicopter money coming in Europe next. That's the next phase that will happen. Canadians should be very interested in that. Because uh, those in Ottawa right now, they're following the European story extremely closely. And if, if we start to experience uh, stress here in Canada, and the Europeans have success with helicopter money, and the success will be measured not as a help the economy, as a help household. The success is measured as can they send out the checks to the right people, you know, get them cash. That's always going to be. Uh, but I suspect we will be the, you know, the second derivative coming up uh, of that. So again, all, all this stuff is, it's proceeding right on, right on cue where we're headed, which is in line with central bank digital currencies, of course. Which, uh, if they and your carbon place, footprint. Yeah, all this on your credit card. <laughs> can I just add, can I just give a market spin? So we've talked a lot about the economy, we've talked about macro and policy and politics, but what's just to give people a little bit of market context, which I think is fascinating throughout all of this, which is the markets actually tentatively finding some sort of bottom. 
And you, you, like, if you look at, you know, we look at relative to rates of um, to moving averages, you know, we look at relative strength index, advanced decline lines, and, you know, throughout all of this sort of negativity, you're, you're, you're starting to see a little bit less volatility um, and you're starting to see, who knows, a tentative bottoming out. It could be, you know, a bear market rally, whatever. The other thing, the thing is fascinating about the euro and, dis and despite all of these negative um, sort of headlines, obviously the energy policy is bad for manufacturers in Germany. The euro is hitting parity, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at um, earnings revisions and earnings revisions ratios, for the European equity market, they continue to grind higher, which I think is actually fascinating. Whereas in the US, um, it's actually starting to roll over. I think the, the cheap euros are starting to have an impact on analyst expectations for earnings of 2023. Um, and I just, it's funny how sometimes the market, the mar I mean, Keith, you say this a lot, but the market and, and the macro can dis disconnect it and dislocate it. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that now. Keith, how are you looking at markets right now? Uh, this so we, we have a pretty good equity model that we use. It's a primary model and a secondary model, and um, you know you can never, you know, tick the bottom or top of, of any market. That that's not going to happen. Um, but as of right now, two of them combined, they're still suggesting weakness or caution in equity markets. You know, maybe a few weeks from now, it, it's a weekly model, so it'll adjust every week. Maybe it'll start to show some improvement. It's not deteriorating anymore, but it's still in that, you know, sort of zone where, you know, we're not excited yet. When we get excited, we'll, we'll tell everyone, hey, yeah, we're, we're now in after we do the trade, of course. And um, <laughs> that's the way it will work. But, you know, like, you know, because we were chatting earlier, uh, you know, is this a bear market rally or is it, you know, really it, it, it's the bottom has troughed and we're going up. And we won't know, you know, with only with hindsight, we'll see. But um, like I, I know the last few days, it's, it's been pretty good for uh, investors. Because, you know, a lot of people were really hurting the first first half of the year. See, I don't see any near-term bottom in Canadian housing. If anyone's asking or wondering, I think we've got uh, quite a bit to work through still. But um, that's, that's my thought. So I don't I mean, I'll, I'll leave the uh, stock indices to you. But uh, yeah, so they, from the risk we have is sort of so yesterday. So I start off, I was at my desk at I, I work at, uh, you know, quite early in the morning, I get started. So yesterday morning, I'm at my desk, I'm doing my stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, I sneeze. And my entire left side of my neck just, it just froze, it just seized up. That's what happens when you, you know, get close to the boomer status. I said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It was like, you know, 530 a.m. Like nothing was going to open another few hours. I literally couldn't move. I couldn't lie down or anything. And Mrs. Icecap, she was not that sympathetic to me at that <laughs> hour in the morning. Um, anyway, because, you know, I was a, you know, normally it's, it's a great story. Um, you know, normally to get in to see someone, it's, like it's a week, wait to get in. But I, I told him I know Steve Cervetsky, so I jumped the line. I got in right away with my physiotherapist that's fixed but the reason i tell the story is that if the u.s does experience like if they sneeze you know if they catch a cold they sneeze the world rest of the world will catch a cold if the u.s if they sneeze now coming up like the economy you know does come to a bit of a, a halt which i still think the probability is is a lot higher than what they're thinking uh you know this sort of rally in europe and all that stuff it, it's gonna roll over again 
you know, pretty hard. So remember the, the, the data coming up over the next few months, ISM data, PMI data, maybe not so much employment data, because that, that might be a bit, you sort of got to really cut through that and see how it's looking. But again, we, we could have some slow numbers coming up. And, and just, if the Americans roll over, it, it's going to be tough everywhere. I mean, well said. Just kind of leads to a couple quick bullet points. Rich, maybe you can kind of chime in here as well. Uh, just so they got, uh, I don't know if you, I know you're on vacation, so I'm not sure if you had the data in front of you, but US jobless claims hit eight month high as the labor market cools. Initial unemployment claims increased uh, 251,000. Um, continuing claims up 51,000, largest advance since November. Reading a release here from AT&T. Uh, so the AT&T uh, stock price fall uh, declined the most in 20 years. Um, basically, the company uh, announced that they are expecting uh, free cash free cash flow of one four fourteen billion dollars. About one billion dollar difference was uh, due due to the tide of the sorry tied to the timing of customer collections. Basically, what they're saying is they're expecting uh, people to sort of delay and, and be late on a lot of their um, cable bills and cell phone payments. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of maybe a little bit illuminating as to the state of the U.S. consumer. I still think that's one of the biggest lies is like, oh, the consumer is in great shape. I mean, they say that in the U.S., I think, and then they say it in Canada. I mean, I know that the U.S. is certainly in much better shape than than Canadians, but I don't know. I mean, it's not terrible. They're not terrible, though. I think the other I think, you know, often I think we get sucked into these very stringent positions when I think sometimes the answer is is some something gray and fuzzy in the middle. Somewhere in between. I think I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about how real wages are negative. And yeah, sure. If you use some wage growth numbers and some inflation numbers, it's negative. There, I can give you one real wage growth number that's positive and rising. And so you have to, I think it's, the, the truth is probably somewhere in between, which is, you know, U.S. consumers have a strong balance sheet, employment is strong, but lagging, but there's definitely stresses, which is obviously inflation's a stress, obviously delinquencies, you know, who knows, charge-offs, there's obviously claims going up. And I think the answer for the consumer is probably somewhere in the middle. This idea that they're definitely, definitely bad, I think is, is, is wrong. Just like I think people who say they're definitely, definitely good, I think is wrong. I know maybe that's a boring answer, but that's the way I call it. I don't know. I mean, we didn't I talk about we... China. Sorry. Yeah, we yeah, China. For sure. I know we're I running mean... out of time, but we didn't talk about China. Maybe for next week, but there's lots of stuff going on there. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we obviously- Sorry to tease that. No, I think it's it's a good. I think we talk a lot about the sort of Canadian housing bubble, and I think that uh, the the Chinese property bubble is certainly up there. I think it's probably larger in in, in many circumstances, but uh, there's definitely a lot of stresses emerging there. Um, you know, they've been running COVID zero policy for for quite some time, and obviously um, that makes it quite difficult on a lot of these developers, right? Trying to to sell you know uh, new construction development you know, pretty hard to do if everybody's kind of locked into their house and the economy is not really moving. So um, in China, we've recently seen um, apparently how it works. Again, I'm not the, the Chinese expert here, but basically they have to, when you buy a pre-sale condo development in China, apparently you start your mortgage payments while it's under construction. So like you're, you're actively like paying. And I think, I believe those payments actually go to the developer. Um, so they, a lot of uh, Chinese residents have decided to stop paying. Uh, we've, we've talked about it briefly. Um, 
you know, on the show, I think last week, you know, about the Chinese property bowl and some of the largest developers in China um, having, you know, missing uh, bond payments and, and, and going through some restructuring, but uh, tanks are now being put on the streets in China Saw to, that. to protect the banks. It's um, amazing. I would recommend anyone just go Google that. It's wild. You see like a bunch of tanks in front of the in fr- tanks in front of the banks while people were protesting, uh, and and what's actually amazing about China, you know, people, I, I'm guilty of, you know, saying it's a communist totalitarian, this and that, and people don't have a democratic voice and what have you. I think what we're actually watching is kind of a, a, a wrinkle in that narrative where you're seeing individuals making the choice to withhold their mortgage payment, to protest, to actively sort of voice their, um, you know, political dissatisfaction in a way that I think is actually kind of surprising and, and, and fascinating, something we should definitely, definitely keep an eye on. I wonder how Xi Jinping, who's going into, I think in October, there's the you know Politburo or the party conference or whatever it is. I mean, this is a really interesting sort of wrinkle to be happening right before he's meant to get his third term. And it would be, it'll be something to keep an eye on for the rest of the summer, for sure. Did they have the election yet? Did, did he win? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, mean, wah, wah, wah. I mean i guess we'll we'll find out in terms of capital flows right like i mean vancouver will be a popular destination uh for for offshore haven yeah. if you're trying to get your money out so i haven't seen anything yet um you know certainly the luxury market's still like the rest of the market here is quite weak but basically but I'll, uh yeah try, I, i'm yeah. sorry I, I was chatting with um, people in hong kong and in singapore last week uh money can so this is anecdotal, but I'm also mm-hmm. seeing it from the, the macro side as well. Money continues to gush out of Hong Kong. It's just flowing out. Five of the last six days, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, um, they, they've been you know, selling USD, buying HKD, like hand over fist. Uh, their excess reserves, they might have maybe five weeks left at this rate. Like that's how close it is. Uh, CNY, that's that that top end of that range gets adjusted every day. And this is important for Canadians. Uh, two things. If you're not happy with your mortgage, it shows that you can't go demonstrate in front of the bank. With all your fixed payment variable mortgages that are going to get triggered <laughs> yeah. in September. Yeah. Be careful, though. Uh, expect tanks. <laughs> expect the tank in front of the bank. Um, I know a guy once we sank his bank. So that's pretty cool, too. See what we're doing here? <laughs> <laughs> the real no, convoy. No. Yeah. Oh, no. um, but uh, for Canadians, though, um, the potential housing crisis in China, if it was triggered, it would be about maybe 10 times bigger than always yeah. for what the Americans said. It, it is enormous. Yeah. And, the, and the reason people have stopped making their payments in China is, is because the developers have stopped building. They stopped developing. So like they're not going to, you know, keep pouring the money into a developer where the, you know, nothing is coming out of it. So they, they have some concerns over there right now. And, and we're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing it on both sides. Keith, how much of that do you link back to like the, the strengthening of the U.S. dollar in terms of creating these market stresses as well? Not just like COVID zero policy and, and a bubble that they've inflated, but it's kind of like there's always got to be like a spark, right? Yeah, everything is everything is synchronized right now. Like people talk about, you know, the Chinese miracle, how they could do this or that. It, it wasn't a miracle. They just they they were a, a country and economy with very little debt. 
and all of a sudden they opened up their economy for foreign investment. Money came pouring in, whatever money came pouring in that they'd levered it up 10, 20, 50 times. And it just became this enormous, you know, growing economy based on, based on debt, no different than what the Western world did, except the Chinese were able to do it, you know, at a, stage when they, you know the rest of the western world sort of sort of peaked so uh the stronger dollar it does hurt it absolutely but um yeah i mean with rates going up in the u.s so for example i i lived in bermuda for a long time and people don't know this but the bermuda dollar is pegged to the u.s dollar and if you go to exchange it's not one for one it's a little small smidgen you you have have to pay it's called the foreign currency purchase tax but uh you get paid more interest to keep it in bermuda dollars you know versus u.s dollars but the, the moment something goes funny you're thinking okay where am i gonna like which currency do i want to hold in my pocket you know bermuda dollars or u.s dollars it's the same thing over in china now like would you rather hold hong kong dollars in your pocket so remember you're in mexico in the dark alley and something goes wrong and you whip out a pocket full of Hong Kong dollars or US dollars, you know, Rich is in trouble with these Hong Kong dollars. And I'm, Steve and I are leaving the alley safe and sound because we paid up USD. That was a bad story. That's wise, wise advice. Always hold US dollars. I know. (laughs) Your Canadian dollars are no good here, sir. I think Rich has, Rich is playing like water polo or something soon. Well, I gotta, I gotta go. Classic. He's got another, uh, he's got another boat meeting here. Um, all right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. As always, we appreciate uh, your guys' support. All we ask is that you share this episode with at least one person and continue to build the Looney Hour community. Uh, plenty more to come. Uh, we'll see you next week.